Hello, everyone, and welcome to Back of the Grid. My name's Chris, and I'm joined by Tom. Hello. And no stew again this week. I promise we will be a three-person podcast again mm. eventually, but it's been a it's been a weird time for absences recently. Yeah. Um. I mean, where do we start? That was. So, sorry, the cat's just scared the absolute bejeebus out of me. <laughs> By jumping on the desk while we're mid I just saw a tail appear. Yeah. He scared the living you-know-what out of me. Jeez. Sorry. Well, <laughs> there's one place to start, I suppose. Um, yeah, I mean, that was... It, it feels weird to say because obviously some pretty terrifying things went down, but from the restart onwards, I honestly think that's one of my favourite Grand Prix i've ever seen it oh was... yeah aside from like the the scary incidents it was a hugely entertaining race like even even through sort of what i'd call like the mid part where things had sort of settled down it was still there was still like i guess stories playing out there were there were like yeah different races against different people and different strategies playing out and you always had like Hamilton closing in and, and things like that. Like lo- lots of different things were playing a factor, um, which made it really interesting throughout. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how you want to approach it. Do you want to talk about the incident first? The yeah, crash? we should probably get out of the way first. Um, obviously, most importantly, um, we know Joe and Albon both got taken to the medical center and then Albon was in hospital for a few hours getting checked up, but we now know they're both completely fine which is um the main thing of importance um you know between that crash and the crash in f2 earlier the same day genuinely think that's two more lives you can chalk up to being saved by the halo like i've kind of lost count of how many times you've said that now but like yeah just the safety in these cars just once again proving the level it's at um such a strange and scary crash yeah, um, I mean, one thing that I think probably needs to be addressed when the FIA and F1 look into this is why the roll ho- hoops appear to be giving in so easily. Um, mm. It's kind of a, a little bit worrying in the sense that maybe we're putting too much faith in the halo alone and these heavier cars as well full fuel like maybe we just need to revisit the standards that the the roll hoops go through in terms of testing and and checks because yes fair enough the the halo's done its job in terms of keeping people's heads off the floor but that's supposed to be the roll hoops job yeah that shouldn't be what the halos it's kind of a sort of an additional feature of the halo rather than what it's designed for i suppose yeah exactly um exactly. obviously worth noting that the you know all the cars pass crash tests but the alpha Romeo does have the they call it like the blade style roll hoop where it's like a central structure that splits the airbox rather than it being a kind of two-pronged thing that most other teams have um yeah i think i'm also right in saying and by all means, anyone listening live or listening later, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I think that um, the the sort of limits that the roll hoop is tested at, like the forces they have to sustain, haven't changed over the last few years as the cars yeah, exactly. have been getting heavier. So, 
you know, that's probably an area that needs to be looked at. And, you know, with all of these these kind of enormous crashes, there will be an investigation. I'm sure it's something the FIA will look yeah. into. And I think that's probably the primary focus more than anything. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think the yeah. fact that there was the gap that the car was able to fall into probably needs looking at as well because yeah. obviously it was a very scary time when we didn't know what was going on. It ter- obviously, as it turns out, that was predominantly just because it was very difficult to get someone out of a car that was stuck there. And, you know, you only have to start thinking about um, if fire was involved, that could have become a very scary situation. So definitely lessons to be learned. Um, but obviously, predominantly, we have to be just happy that what is there did what it was supposed to and everyone was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of like what caused the crash, it, it sort of seems like it was Russell's slow start that was like the catalyst for it. He was one of the few that started on hards and he just didn't move off the line basically um yeah got got a little bogged down and i don't know if he thought he saw someone coming around his right hand side or if he was just trying to protect position but he moved across towards probably what i would say is the center of the track yeah because um, gasly was kind of in between the uh joe and russell sort of half in there and kind of seemed to try to back out of it but yeah, he. I mean, he he clearly saw Russell moving across and tried to back out, but it was already a little bit too late. Um, I think it is just a bit of one of those kind of unfortunate racing incidents where people just got a bit too close. Um, yeah, if you if you like like had had to point a finger, you would maybe say it was Russell moving across a little bit too far into other people's space when he didn't need to. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's. It's a packed grid and, you know, G- Gasly, for example, knows the risk of trying to go in between them when he can see George is slow. So, you know, there's, there's, there's far too many factors at play, I think, to be able to say it is this one person's fault and this is the reason why it happened. But yeah, I think that's like the catalyst, I guess, for the events, isn't it? Is George's slow start and then him trying to move across to defend. That's kind of where it begins, I guess. Yeah, I think in hindsight, Gasly and Russell probably both think they could have approached it in a slightly better way. But yeah, like ultimately, it's just one of those kind of star of the race incidents. Um, It just Mm. happened to be a a huge one. Um, So yeah, there were seven cars involved. Um, Only three of them were actually out on the spot, Russell, Joe and Albon. Um, I guess we should talk about Russell at this point. I mean, first of all, enormous praise to him for his first thing was just to get out of the car and go over to see what um, what was going on with Joe. Like that's, yeah. I think, just a measure of the sort of person he is. And I think it was um, Jack Aitken on Twitter said after the race um, when they used to do karting together, one of the early races, Aitken um, had a crash and, um, oh no, sorry, Callum Eilis it was, I've just been corrected, um, had a crash and his car flipped over and Russell pulled over and you know stops racing to go and check he was okay so that's just kind of the person he is and i think that's something to be applauded um he was unhappy that he couldn't take the restart um so he said in the interview after the race that he after he'd gone to check on joe he went back to his car and got back in and he was um the only thing wrong with the car was a puncture by the looks of it and but he couldn't get the car restarted so he said he got out of the car to go and speak to his team 
asked the marshals not to touch the car while he spoke to the team to then go back. By the time he got back, it was on a flatbed. And he was uh, a bit miffed about that. But to be honest, the marshal's job is to get stricken cars off the track. Like, I don't think as a driver, you get to ask them to leave your car while you go and have a chat to the team. I think that's probably pushing his luck a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a weird one because I'd, I've not had a chance to properly check the written rules and regs and so on. And Because my impression has always been if you choose to leave the car, that is what deems it a forfeit, essentially, a DNF, because you've chosen to leave the car. Um, I understand his point. I, you sort of kind of overheard a, a discussion he was having with one of the FIA delegates saying, I only got out to to check on Joe and check he was okay. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, he's, he's right. But I... Th- my impression has always been if you get out of the car, regardless of the reasoning. Because the other I thing mean, is, as soon as he gets out of the car, he's then not able to put his seatbelts back on properly. Exactly. So that's definitely a factor, um, which is possibly why the rule exists, to my knowledge, as it does, because you can't safely put yourself back in it to be able to then drive it. Um, and that, that could quite easily be one of the reasons that that's a factor. It, had he been able to do that, I wouldn't personally like. I wouldn't have a problem with a driver being able to get out, check on another driver in an incident like that, get back in, and if they can safely like buckle themselves back into it to be safe, and then restart the car and drive it back to the pits in that scenario, you know, personally, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, but like you, you could almost if, even if the rules the are the rules, we've got to yeah, stick to them, haven't we? You could almost even make the argument to that point, like the car still works. I can't get back in and do my belts up. Like, can you just push the car back into the pit lane for the team to collect or something? Mm. Like, you know, you could almost make those arguments, but yeah. yeah. Um, one of those things, but yeah, like again, predominantly just hats off to him for his instincts being to forget all of that and go and check 100%. on his colleague. Um, special mention as well to Alpine. Um, so I don't know if you've seen Ocon's on board from the crash, but Ocon's front right suspension was just shredded just in, in pieces and he yeah, managed to limp, broke one of the yeah, arms limped it all it was multiple arms i think from what i've seen and he limped back around mm. to the pits and alpine managed to get the car repaired and back on the grid for the restart which is you know i know they had about an hour to do it but even so that was a impressive bit of work from the alpine crew yeah very good yeah it was <laughs> it was not going anywhere were it not for the the hard work of them replacing that no. entire front right suspension arm right and then we can get to the restart and <laughs> the actual race um it's so hard to even know where to begin with a race like this um so I'll, let's let's start with kind of the ferrari and hamilton fight because red bull was sort of in it briefly but we'll kind of get to them later i suppose okay um so signs at the restart i think it's fair to say was aggressive <laughs> Um, <laughs> obviously he lost yeah. the start at the first start to Verstappen and it was based, it just looked to me like a no not this time you're not doing that again um, <laughs> I think it was borderline um, defence from him into turn one yeah there was the thing 
the thing I guess for me overall with this, like before we go into, I guess, specifics, but the thing for me overall is that there seemed to at least be some consistency. Um, and that's what was important for me. Like, we weren't seeing one driver getting penalised for something and then another driver not being penalised for something. Um, I'd, I'd have to literally go back and watch every single specific one to sort of say, yes, that deserves a penalty. No, it doesn't. Um, yeah. But it's like, I think some of the drivers that were being pushed out wide were, in a sense, uh, pushing their luck, trying to get around the outside in the first place. And mm -hmm. the door was always going to close because they were trying to get around the outside of a car that was always going to sweep outside towards the outside curb, for example. I mean, that's yeah. not the situation with all of the moves throughout the race, but a good couple of them into both turn one and turn three in that first little sector is it's a situation where that because of the racing line of the circuit there's always going to be a, a natural outswing from the from the car and people were trying essentially to go around the outside of that and if they're not like if they're not coming out of the corner ahead around the outside they're probably going to get squeezed um uh, a little bit like science almost did into turn one against verstappen um, mm. a little bit like Leclerc did get squeezed out by Hamilton on the original start. Um, I'm trying to think of some other examples, but like they're the ones that sort of come to mind. Um, yeah, but that was, was the so that was right. really the main place it was happening was turn three, if from what yeah. I remember. And it was like I say, it was fairly consistent with someone trying to throw it around the outside and then uh, it not paying off. Essentially, I think the the only one. But then again, it's the same thing. I was going to say that on the restart when Leclerc and. Uh, Verstappen were fighting each other. There was a bit where Verstappen kind of pushed Leclerc out going into Luffield, but it, he was trying to swing it around the outside in a line yeah. that naturally goes that way. So it's oh, it, they're all they're all situations to me where the the driver that's gone wide has had to sort of back out of the move and then just run wide to try and keep some pace and not lose too much time. So all in all, I think we probably ended up in the best outcome. I don't. Like, mm. no one was overly aggressive in, in my mind is, I guess, where I'm kind of getting to with this. No, I came away from that right. There's, other than a couple of moves that spring to mind, for the most part, it was very hard, but very fair racing from pretty yeah. much everyone, which I think is was why it was just so entertaining to watch because there wasn't really, in all of the, and then the end of the race was chaos, but in all of it, at no point was there really much in the way of, oh, he's pushed it too far there. Like there was one, maybe a little bit of track limits, but for the most part, they were just, it was just good racing, which is yeah. ultimately what we're here for. Um, one one thing I didn't think was great was going back to the, the restart, um, Leclerc going up the inside of Perez into the loop, which is turn four, turn four. Yeah. Um, which is what That's caused tough. Perez the front wing damage. Um, I think Leclerc got a little lucky not to get in trouble for that. It it seemed to me a bit of a sling in his car into a gap that was always going to close. 
Yeah, I mean that's that's an example of someone trying to, uh, I, I guess, abuse the racing line. Like the natural line is after turn three, um, you you swing out wide and then turn in to hit that apex on four yeah. on the loop. Um, so yeah, you're right. That door is always going to close. Uh, he was not quick enough, and and like if if he does make that corner somehow ahead of Perez. Perez is probably going to beat him on like a traditional sort of switchback kind of line anyway, because yeah. that's the natural line of the corner and that's the fastest way around it. So yeah, I think that's a that's a little bit of a on the limit one, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly because he's done the damage to Perez that it has and caused him to have to pit. Like there's been some more dire consequences than losing half a second, having to get your foot out of it kind of thing. It's been a bit more of a severe outcome, I guess. Yeah. Um, the the other bit that was a little bit questionable for me, I guess, was how staunchly Verstappen defended against um, Schumacher towards the end of the race. Like, there were, but for the most part, it was hard racing. Like Max with the wounded car and Mick just desperately trying to get as many points as they could on <laughs> yeah. for his first points finish. But there was just a little bit coming into club chicane where Max kind of shut the door a bit harshly, and you know there was a bit of contact. Yeah, um, so, yeah, it's, they're, they're the two questionable things for me, I think. Yeah. The Claire throwing it up the inside into the loop and some of Verstappen's defending against Schumacher, but not all of it. Um, yeah. And to be fair, I, I think maybe the the adrenaline of being in the fight just sort of took over for Mick, but I, from what I've heard, I don't think he, he actually had many complaints, if any, about no, Max's driving, so. which, which to me is always a, you know... A fair, you know, a sign of a fairish fight when the other driver's not going out of their way to make complaints. And generally speaking, like he probably was giving as good as he was getting. Like you didn't really get to see it all properly televised. Sadly, you only yeah. saw bits and pieces of it. So it's one of those where you probably have to go back and watch the whole thing to see the full extent of it. But worth doing if you get time. Uh, so. So yeah, so then then we had that mistake from Signs on lap ten that gave Verstappen the lead. Um, we think Signs himself said he was just pushing too hard and got some understeer. But yes, that lasted about two laps before Verstappen slowed down, which we'll get into later. So then we had that situation where we had the Ferrari one-two um, with Hamilton catching them both. Leclerc pretty much like hounding signs despite him having a big old chunk of front wing missing, which was surprising at that point. Like mm. Leclerc's pace with a hobbled car at that point was so impressive. Um, yeah. There was, I don't know, I can't remember how many laps it was. It was at least eight laps, I think, of sort of, I'm faster, now I can go faster. And no real decisions being made until eventually they kind of tried to make the problem go away by pitting signs. Um, like d- well, during that time, Hamilton, between lap 12 and lap 20, Hamilton dropped the gap from five and a half to three and a half seconds. Um, yeah, I was I was about to say, like, there was a good number of lap. It was probably around lap sort of 14 or 15 um, that. Hamilton started like closing the gap on them, uh, I guess, because that's when he started like banging in the purple sectors around that time and was at, at times sort of coming towards a second quicker than Sainz, who was leading. Because um, that was that was the problem. Like Ferrari were, 
for all intents and purpose, like to to not switch the cars and like try and keep things fair, I guess. Ferrari were doing the right thing, and what they were essentially doing is calling out Hamilton's times and telling Science he needed to match them, because you what you listen to a radio call from Ferrari saying we need you to be in. 32 nines or whatever it was and then literally within one lap of that radio call that you'd heard it hamilton set a 132.9 and then they were saying like we've got to get quicker than this we need to get down to 132.5s yeah. and then within a lap you were getting hamilton setting fastest lap at that time like they they had their eyes in the right place and they were trying to get science to do the right thing it's just whether it was detrimental to leclerc and he could have got in front and done even faster lap times and essentially create a gap. Um, and which the thing is eternal debate, isn't it? Yeah, and and the other factor is like Leclerc was obviously faster at that point, and he had closed up the gap, and he was like running right on Science's tail. But his problem then was after Science pit, he Leclerc had no pace left, and Hamilton was still yeah. outpacing him on on the same tires. So was that just signs saying, no, I'm happy with the pace I'm going at. I'm not destroying my tires kind of thing. I mean, well, I guess we didn't know because signs was the first one to pit, but mm. um, yeah. So Ferrari's next problem was even after um, signs pit, Hamilton was still matching and sometimes beating their pace. Um, he's, 20 lap old mediums seem to have more pace in them than the new hards because everyone seemed to struggle to get the hard switched on. Um, and as I say, Leclerc just had pretty ropey pace as well, presumably because he'd taken too much out of his tyres. By the time he pitted, he dropped two seconds behind signs again. Um, we then had another Ferrari committee meeting while Hamilton was leaving. Yeah. Um, eventually, they decided to make the call to swap positions lap 31 mm -hmm. which again it's a difficult one isn't it like in terms of the team getting the best result for them probably was the right thing to do um but that kind of took too long to do it and i also completely <laughs> obviously understand signs not wanting to do it yeah, it's, really it's, it's the it's the age old thing of like it's it's kind of part of racing. Like some people don't like it, some people expect it, some people are like a little bit indifferent and flop either side from it. Like, but ultimately, the you have to think about the bigger picture. And had Ferrari been a little bit more forceful with science in that in the first scenario before Hamilton caught up to them and, and they, they sort of did it through pit stop strategy instead. Leclerc could have built up a more substantial gap, meaning the in hindsight, the whole safety car thing plays out very differently um, because I guess the next sort of point in this story is that situation where when Albon, uh, sorry, when Ocon's um, engine fails and he, he struggles to a stop that safety car call comes and 
Ferrari are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it's exactly the, well, not exactly the same, but it's a similar situation to, like, here's, here's my two cents on it, I guess, basically. They pick Leclerc, he loses track position to Sainz and Hamilton. Fact. Mm-hmm. Hamilton was like five seconds behind them. He, he would have come out ahead of Perez. That's it. He would have lost track position to Sainz and Hamilton. All Mercedes need to do is, if they think Hamilton can maintain pace on the hard tyre and get to the end, leave him out for track position and fight Sainz on the same strategy, or copy Leclerc in the same way they copied Sainz and then be able to attack. Like, it's a, it's a lose-lose situation for Ferrari, realistically. Yeah. In the same way that, like, going back to Abu Dhabi last year, we had that entire debate of if Hamilton had pitted same as Verstappen, he would have had fresher tyres and been able to defend, blah, 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 blah. You're giving up track position if you make yeah. that call first, and that's why it's such a difficult thing. What Ferrari did in that scenario, to be brutally honest, is probably the correct thing, which is put leave Leclerc out there and then bring science in and just see who Hamilton copies, basically. Like, he was always going to be copying one of them, so he was always going to be on the same strategy as one of them, and the other strategy was always going to, like... Well, one of the two strategies was always going to play out better than the other. Um, but had Leclerc been able to stretch out a gap from earlier in the race and bring a more substantial gap, that changes the perspective of that completely. And I think that's where the mistake is made earlier, not necessarily the... Miss, not necessarily the situation behind the safety car when Ocon stopped. Hmm. So, um, I mean, I think the other thing is Mercedes did Ferrari a huge favor at that point by giving Hamilton a slow pit stop. Because yeah, I think if he'd have had a decent stop, he'd at least have come out between the Ferraris, maybe even ahead of them. So they did him a big favor. The other thing as well is, Obviously, Hamilton went much deeper on his first set of tyres than the Ferraris. Yeah. Kind of would like to have seen him put softs on, take a gamble on softs for that second stint. What, and go like medium, soft, soft? Well, I think I think mediums and then just try and string out a set of softs to the end. That would be bold. Especially I mean, seeing we were, how we were like, what, struggling rap? to switch the, um, the hards on. I can't remember how many laps he did on the hards once he got them. Was it like uh, it was, it was about lap thirty-two or something that he pitted, wasn't it for the for the hards? Uh, I'm sure it was th- around lap thirty-two. Thirty-one, he came in. Oh, so thirty-one. Yeah, so not far off then. So yeah, he must have done like six or maybe seven laps on the hard before they, I guess, followed suit with, suit with yeah. science. Um, I, I mean, I guess it's, it's weird because. Like for me, it it is a really difficult one, and I don't know. In hindsight, maybe the thing that they could have done differently behind the safety car is done it the other way around, and given Leclerc the soft tires and kept Science out on the hard rather than the other way around. And yeah, I know that sort of contradicts myself, I guess, into giving away track position for Leclerc. But they obviously still maintain it with science overall. And then in theory, Leclerc can attack with soft tires and basically do what science did and, you know, drive through everybody else on the older tires to the front. Um so I'm very surprised they didn't do it the other way around, I guess. And mm. but the double stack obviously was never never a good idea behind that safety car, I don't think. Yeah. 
So Ferrari had they only had about eight seconds between the safety car call and the clerk getting to the pit entry to make the call, which you know, mm. eight seconds in F one making strategy calls, it's not the shortest amount of time in the world. It's not a long time, but it's not the shortest time in the world. Um, mm. Matteo Bonotto's explanation after the race was that the cars were too close together to double stack them, as you said. Yeah. Um, so basically, they chose to pit signs because Leclerc had track position. So let Leclerc keep the lead. Yeah. Give signs, which makes sense. It, make, it makes sense. It, it does, but at the same time, the second they did that, Leclerc kind of was screwed. Like he, he, it was there was no way he was going to hold on to that lead after that. Yeah. It was. And again, it's just one of those timing things, isn't it? It was just an unlucky, it's just unlucky timing. Yeah, I mean, it goes either way as well, though. Like, it, it's all like fine with hindsight to say he was done for after that and it was sciences to win. But on the flip side, had they pitted Leclerc and he'd have come out third on softs or mediums, whatever they did. I mean, they'd have probably gone soft because that's what they did for science. So say he comes out in third on softs, but then Hamilton and Science have got pace in the hard that, you know, we weren't expecting. It's a different story, isn't it? It's like, why have they pitted him from the lead and trashed his race and, you know, he's ended up second or third third at best. So, yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one. I don't I don't envy anyone being on I, I think they're getting way too much flack for than they deserve, especially considering how everyone was like a, you know, a strategist after Abu Dhabi last year. Um, yeah. I think they need to give Ferrari a little bit of slack with that, that keeping track position. If if it's good enough for Hamilton to keep track position when a safety car comes out, <laughs> why is it not good enough for Ferrari and Leclerc? Like, why is it a mistake for them and uh, not for somebody else? Like, I just feel like there's biases sometimes coming to people's opinion on these things, and I don't like it's, it. It's funny though because, like, for years Ferrari were accused of just well, I mean, accusing it was fact that Ferrari favored one driver over the other, and they yeah. won many many championships. And ironically, I think. Had Red Bull been in the same situation with Verstappen leading, they would absolutely have pit Verstappen and left Perez out as a roadblock. And yeah, they'd, they'd have definitely done it the other way and yeah. given Verstappen the opportunity to attack with the softer compound tire, like the the better performing tire. Hundred percent, that's what they would have done. Yeah, and if it was, and, and like it's like I said before, I think if if there is a mistake that Ferrari have made, it's that they've potentially done it with the wrong driver. Um, but yeah, it's. I guess it is what it is, isn't it? Like it's a Ferrari win. And I think the clerk could have done better. I think. Yeah. But well, yeah, that's the thing. It's like it's hard to criticize when they won the race, but I think I said someone over the weekend. Nice Ferrari that tried to look after both their drivers don't win championships. Like if this was in the Alonso Massa days. Alonso would have got the new tyres, Massa would have been the roadblock. This was the Schumacher mm. Marichello days, same story. But that they Ferrari are very good at winning lots of things with one driver. And when they try and and they, yeah, they had the same problem with Vettel and Leclerc. They tried to sort of give them both equal calls and equal shots and it's, didn't really get much out of it. It's a bit of a weird one. Like you know, sometimes when say the team make a decision for Hamilton's strategy and you hear Hamilton... And to be fair, I've, I remember times that it's happened with Max where basically the team have made a call 
and those two drivers have both been on the radio saying like what is this call like what are we doing and Mm -hmm. sometimes sometimes it goes the way the strategists have played it out and like the drivers are like oh like amazing race guys sorry sorry for doubting you essentially or he's gone the other way and it's you know it's scuppered the race and the reaction is why did we do that (laughs) but ultimately in both those scenarios the thing that you're seeing is the team are making the call that they think is best forcing it through no matter what and but then also like taking responsibility for it if if it does go wrong and basically saying yep that's on us we you know we need to look, look back at you know why we thought it was a better option and what's led us down the wrong path and but they'll take ownership on it and the thing with ferrari in this scenario is they've been too like i guess pussyfooting around it you know like not making the decision to switch positions with them earlier when most of the teams that have done it within a lap or two um and trying to be too too nice to science basically and not be like in a way, science needed that. Science needed a bit of a arm rounding from the team and like a come on, mate, do these laps, do these laps, and you can keep the position. And science personally needed that, but it wasn't the best thing for Ferrari overall. And sometimes the team has to take priority over an individual driver. Because science coming second behind Leclerc, for example, is still a really solid result. And it is enough to like sort of keep building his confidence. Yes, not as much as a race win, like what he's had. But it's still enough for him to keep, you know, building momentum. Yeah, totally. From this bad start of the season he's had. So, yeah, I think Ferrari weirdly need to get a bit tougher, I guess, and be more willing to pull the trigger. I think that's the problem in in all of this. Not the specifics of the scenario, but the the kind of attitude and mentality that they've taken into it. Hmm. Um, and I'd like another example of it at the safety car restart you had Ferrari asking Sainz to leave the maximum 10 car lengths to give Leclerc like a bit of a lead and Sainz rightfully said no <laughs> like I've got Hamilton and Perez breathing down my neck and I'm faster than Leclerc in front of me I'm absolutely not going to leave yeah. him a gap to help him out that was a stupid call in my opinion yeah, there's, there's no right. there's no way they should have been going oh yeah just leave the maximum 10 car lengths that you're allowed to please yeah like, he was no totally way. going to go against that no way um <laughs> uh science the science after the race i knew i was going to pass him 100 i just wanted to do it as cleanly as possible and without affecting his race and you know he's right it was totally the right thing to do and as it was it yeah. took him like what five corners to get by and take the lead um yeah it wasn't long Yes, and then obviously just chaos in shoe behind him, which we'll get to. But uh, yeah, ultimately signs pulled a gap uh, and finally won a race on his 150th start. Um, he's got the record now for the second longest wait yeah. for his first victory um, after Perez. Amazingly as well, he's only the second Spanish driver to win a Grand Prix. Just yeah, I found that stat really yeah. like sort of, just out of the blue, so oh, I yeah, guess Fernando. like, yeah, I, it never even dawned on me that Fernando was the first Spanish driver to win a no, race. No, I didn't realise that. Um, so, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, we've not really had many Spanish drivers over the last, what, 30, 20, maybe 30 years. I suppose not, no. So Nando's been the main one. Um, 
Like they, they all go into MotoGP, that's why. They're all winning MotoGP all the time. <laughs> yeah, it's true, actually. <laughs> Um, another interesting start I saw, this is uh, Sainz's sixth podium of the year compared to Leclerc, who's only had four. Um, yeah. So yes, when Leclerc is on there, he we won a couple of them. But um, it's like considering how many problems Sainz had, how many DNFs he had early in the season. Recently, he's been the more consistent of the two, I think, at least in terms of results. Um, yeah. And just so good to see him finally getting a win. Like... You know, after Canada, we said if Sainz was ever going to win a race, that was it, and he didn't. And he's turned up here and proved us wrong, which I'm very happy to see. Like, it, it's just yeah. good to see him. I just know, I feel like this will be a a step for him. Like, he's got that off his back now. Like, there's been so much, like, talk of, oh, when's he finally going to get that win? And he's got it now, and he can... Just motor on, hopefully. Fingers crossed. I, I I hope that it comes back to like a point I sort of half touched on before. Like he's been needing to build his confidence up through what's gone on earlier in this season, and this is definitely like the hugest jump in confidence he's going to be able to get, especially with us going like straight into a sprint weekend. Like there's, you know that. <laughs> it's the best way to carry that momentum forward, isn't it? To like get straight back into. A weekend where it starts with qualifying on a Friday, a race on a Saturday, and a race on a Sunday. Yeah, totally. So it'd be very interesting to see like how well he does carry that momentum forward now. Yeah, really good, and not an easy victory either. He had to, he had to really He's fight, to fight for that. Yeah, really fight his fight own team it. to a degree as well. Yeah, to get that. <laughs> um, right. Let's move on to Red Bull. Um, mm. so yeah Verstappen just suddenly lost pace thought he had a puncture but turned out not to be uh, what it actually turns out is um, you'll remember when the Alpha Tower is sort of a wheel to wheel and Sonoda spun into Gasly uh, big old chunk of Alpha Tower M plates got left behind on the track which then mm. Verstappen drove into and it wedged itself in his floor um which oh was it actually stuck in the floor and not damaged the floor? Nope, it was actually uh, wedged in there to... for the entire rest of the race, apparently. Um, which I'm sure uh, Doctor Marco was not best pleased about. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, really unfortunate for Verstappen. Um, he managed to salvage some points for seventh. Um, I, I thought Verstappen chose his battles quite well like he didn't yeah he didn't faff around wasting time fighting people he was ultimately going to lose positions too um he, he yeah, like fought as, the ones that he might stand a chance of winning yeah and generally i think from what we heard a bit of a like just generally good demeanor considering the situation like there's a there's mm. an older verstappen coming through there that like a little bit of a wiser verstappen to think absolutely there's no point in getting worked up over something that can't be changed and just get your head down, defend what you can and bring home some points. Mm -hmm. And an old, uh, sorry, a younger Verstappen would have probably got pretty irate over that. Maybe wanted to just retire the car. And, and don't get me wrong. I think had he, had he been so bad, he'd fallen out of the points. They'd have probably retired him at that point um, to save component life. I, I don't doubt that for a second, but they did the right thing, both him and the team, to just salvage. And I mean, with what happened with the Clare, finishing where he did, 
realistically, it's, it's good damage limitation for them finishing that race seven. Yeah, and you know, that's six points he's picked up. And we know from recent years that six points can make a huge difference in a world championship. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. Uh, and then Perez, um, as we said, he had that clash with the Clare on the after the restart, um, had to pit for a new front wing. He actually got the meatball flag, although I think they were going to pit him anyway. Um, mm. He then sort of stayed out while everyone else was pitting and climbed up to fourth. Um, and then the safety car timing was really good for him, actually. Um, he was able to sort of switch to softs when his tyres were just going off. Had just the most colossal battle with Hamilton and Leclerc in those closing laps. Hmm. Um, ultimately, Perez came out on top and took second place. Um, I mean, first of all, what a drive from Perez to recover from. I think he was 17th at one point. Um, yeah, he was down... He was essentially last on the road, I think, after yeah, his he pit was. stop for the front wing. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, like, I guess we can talk about it now. Like, that duel the three of them had was just, like, I, I watched the highlights again earlier, and I'd already seen it. I already knew what happened. And, like, my heart rate <laughs> was, like, going and, like, just from watching it. It was unbelievable. It was so good. Like, yeah. Leclerc and Perez dueling and then Hamilton nipping back past both of them and then Perez getting back past Hamilton was incredible like getting ahead of ourselves and move the day here but the way he <laughs> kind of put Hamilton offline and like sized him up through multiple corners unbelievable stuff um yeah really good drive from Perez um yeah. Alonso popped up best of the rest uh fifth place a pretty battling feisty drive from Alonso um Norris just very anonymously finished sixth. Like, I f there was yeah, there was it was the, weird that wasn't it. <laughs> there was the early laps when um, Hamilton was behind him and passed him quite easily, and then towards the end he kind of caught up with that big fight. But otherwise, he just like was just on his own, I think, for the whole race. But um, you know, solid points, I guess, for the team. Although Alpine are now only six points behind McLaren in the uh, constructors. Uh, Alpine bought a big upgrade this weekend and you know obviously it's only one one race at one circuit but it looks like the alpine upgrade is doing the business from what we've seen so far so yeah yeah that fight between alpine and mclaren is going to be quite tight i think um who's next i'll tell you who's next it's only mick schumacher finally got his first points <laughs> at the yeah. 32nd time of asking um, a pretty, pretty sort of feisty battling drive, I thought, to eighth place. Um, he had to, you know, kept he had to keep his head while there was all sorts going on around him. Um, you yeah. know, the pace of that race was so high because obviously with the safety car, no one had fuel concerns, so it was properly flat out. But um, yeah, some like good wheel to wheel racing. Um, very nearly got past Verstappen um, in the closing laps. Um, Seb said he was because uh, Vettel was behind at that point and Seb said he was basically like cheering Mick on from his cockpit in the closing <laughs> laps which is just brilliant that's cool yeah. and I think as well there's like yes there's a lot of DNFs in this race that have helped him to that position but there's a huge thing to look at in the sense that the only person that finished behind him that started behind him was Stroll so he's yes. passed every single other one of those drivers on merit at some point during the race, yeah. 
so yes, despite there being a lot of DNFs that have maybe helped drag him and Magnuson for that matter into the points, it's still a solid drive from Mick, I think, and just shows that, you know, it is coming to him, giving a little bit of time, I think. Um, just, uh, it's a little bit like the science scenario, really, I guess. Now he's got the point, now he's got the monkey off his back, he's got the points. Can he build on momentum from that? And, you know, I, he's been quite good against Magnuson just all all the way through this weekend, realistically, hasn't he? He's been, yeah. been up there with him and then a really solid, solid race performance. So, yeah, hope, hopefully more of that to come from Mick. Yeah. yeah, like again, similar to what we said to Science, I really hope that this is like he had that. When will he get his points hanging over him? Now he's done it. It was a really, yeah. really good drive. Um, yeah, I, I hope that he sort of takes a step forward after this. Um, yeah, and yeah, as the chat is saying, like he legitimately beat Magnussen on pace, which is no mean feat because Magnussen is still a quick driver. Um, yeah, really good, really good to see. Um, and you know, a bunch yeah. of his family were there as well. It was uh, it was really good. Um, Seb, we mentioned he he had a really good race as well. Actually, he started eighteenth um, yeah. after a pretty shocking qualifying for um, Aston Martin, but he climbed up to ninth for a couple of points. Um, where did Stroll end up actually? Because he qualified right. Stroll end, right, finished twelfth. Oh, I think 11th. in the end, he was just outside 11th. the points. Oh, so it must have got Latifi in those closing laps after the restart then. That Alpine just seems to... Sorry, the Aston Martin just seems to not be able to handle rain. That's two wet qualifyings in a row now, and the Aston Martin's just mm. been almost plumb last. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, last last of the points finishes was Magnussen. Uh, got a tall points finish for Haas for the first time in a, in a little while. Well, first time this season, isn't it? Um Yeah. So yeah, good for them as well. Um, anyone else you want to mention before we move on? I mean, I'm sure there's like a million other things that went on that race, but uh, we've we've covered most people. Um, I mean, I give Latifi a tiny bit of kudos for his qualifying yes. performance, but he went back to Latifi of holes really during the race, didn't he? And just went backwards for the most part. Yeah, um, he did. He did run in the points for a while, but apparently he ran over a curb and got some floor damage, and that's what sort of eventually dropped him back. Twelfth uh, place, he finished. If he says so. <laughs> <laughs> Righty, let's let's do what I think is going to be a very difficult Oof. driver of the day. I know this is going. Yeah. Um... I don't know. It's it is really difficult for me. Like I I really wanted to go with Perez and the reason I wanted to go with Perez is mainly the fact that his race ended up compromised through no fault of his own. Um he wasn't being like overly feisty or anything that led to the damage to begin with. Um so it's a little bit unfortunate. And he's driven solidly to get from the back of the pack to where he was to then find himself in like a, an opportunistic position for the um for the safety car basically because realistically he was sort of leading the the sort of the best of the rest midfield bunch because of where he'd gotten to because i think he was something like 20 odd seconds off the top three wasn't he in fourth like you had you had signs leclerc and hamilton battling it out and then perez was 
something like 20 odd 30 seconds yeah. behind them at the point the safety car came so he'd like kind of already done almost as much as he could given the situation but then got to take advantage of the safety car and boy did he ever like yeah <laughs> there was a point where i thought with how like feisty he was being with leclerc and how much and I, I was thinking to myself like flipping heck he might be able to go on and actually win this and that'd be something insane to see yeah but i think signs just kind of tapped into another level when he realized the position he was in and the opportunity he'd got himself i think science just kind of you know went to another level and managed to keep him at bay but yeah for for all those kind of reasons i've mentioned i think for me it's perez um yeah i think hamilton is a worth oh the very yeah least well, dimension um I, I think i think had hamilton been able to stay ahead of perez it would have been no shadow of a doubt him for me. Um, in, and I think in, I'm literally just going to the one who finished the better position out of the two of them. Yeah. Like for Hamilton to be in the fight for the win in what was the third best car, I don't think anyone would argue. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. Well, it's like we were saying last week, like Hamilton at Silverstone is just a combination that always just like is worth more speed. Um, yeah. Yeah. He was unbelievable. Um, I also think Leclerc is in deserves a very strong nomination as well. Like his pace to be in the fight with a car that's missing an end plate, like his pace was unbelievable. And the way he mm. defended in that final stint as well was so impressive. His defense at the end was something else. Um on old tires as well. Yeah. Like he's on Old hards defending against people on fresh softs, missing a yeah, chunk it, of front it, wing. Like, it, it, yeah, it was in it was in a like a a losing battle, wasn't it? For that, like, it was valiant to put up the fight that he did, basically. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, mean even... I think I was just gonna say, I think that the end plate thing probably goes to show that the regulation changes have kind of done what. The FIA wanted them to, to Either a degree. The front wing doesn't really matter anymore. <laughs> yeah, like as in the, because that kind of damage is like basically you pit and fix it, or it's like race over in previous yeah. aero generations. Whereas now, although he was having to probably drive out of his skin to achieve it, he was on pace when, given the situation, you know, like against Science and against Hamilton and so on. So, I think. It shows like, yes, it was a really good drive from Leclerc, but it also shows that another element of the regulation changes that's gone the way that we anticipated and the way we'd hoped. So mm -hmm. there's, there's like a two points for that, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, a debut win is always um, worth a mention, but <laughs> if I'm honest, I don't think signs... There were periods of that race where signs just didn't have the pace, and I mean, ultimately, they told him to let his teammate by. So yeah. as as good as his win was, I don't think we can give it him. I don't think um, he's drive of the day worthy, is it? No. I mean, as I think Mick Schumacher. Like Mick Schumacher's an honourable mention as well. Like, really well, solid drive for him. Yeah, I mean, when the race ended and I saw him battling uh, Verstappen for seven, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm giving Mick Schumacher drive of the day, I don't care. But then I sort of went back and watched it this morning as to just... <laughs> reinstill like where I was going to go with it and it ended up being like a very difficult tie between Perez and Hamilton for me and like I said before just 
Perez just edging it out on the basis that um, he finished ahead of Hamilton in the end, and that that was the only reason for that. So if if they can share the award, that's fine. If they can't, then it'll have to be Perez. Sorry. <laughs> I think it's. I think what's going to swing it for me is Perez's um, just his wheel to wheel combat. Like his overtakes, especially yeah. in that last phase of the race, were just something else. So yeah, I can I can give it to him. I think. Okay. Right, and an equally tricky one is move of the day. I mean, I'm, I mean, ironically, I think I'm going to give this to one of Hamilton's probably <laughs> after saying what we just said about Perez. But I mean, there were so many, weren't there? Really, especially yeah. in that last phase when they were all bunched back up. So just to pick out a few we've jotted down here, there was Hamilton going down the inside of Perez and Leclerc as they were fighting, which. It was more an opportunistic thing than a good overtake, I think, but still worthy of a mention. Um, yeah. Hamilton around the outside of Leclerc at Luffield was very good. Um, oh, yeah. That, that was one of my favourites, that one. Yeah. Because he'd, he'd already tried it once and I guess learned from it as in realised, right, I need to be alongside him. Like I can't let him squeeze me out again. Yeah. Um, and he made he definitely made sure of that a second time round and got it to stick. Um, then there was Perez getting past Hamilton after the restart. Um, that one was, yeah. in fact, it was just after that. It was just that after was, Hamilton got past the two of them, wasn't it? And then Perez, um, yeah, Perez immediately got no, back not, going through the loop. Was it no? Was it not before um, the fight with Leclerc? Wasn't it what put Perez in the position to fight with Leclerc? Because I thought that. At least the one I'm thinking of is the one where Perez kind of did a little bit of a switch back on the loop and then got the inside for the for the kink onto the uh, Wellington straight. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I think that one came before Hamilton's oh, like opportunistic that. because it ultimately set him up to fight um, Leclerc. And then while he was fighting Leclerc ahead, that's when Hamilton dived back. Was... And then Perez did like a similar thing to Hamilton the, <laughs> the next time around and... It was just too much. You can't yeah. actually remember when they all were, but yeah, I think I think that's I think I'm remembering it correctly. Um, and then Leclerc's just general defence towards the end, in particular when he went around the outside of Hamilton at Cops, that was that was bold. Yeah, I mean that came after the one where Hamilton finally made it stick around the outside of Bluffield. Yeah. Like the, the the weird thing is, all these great moves you can see clearly tie together in some way, shape, or form, and. That's like excellent racing for me. And can we just it's... give it all three of them for just all of that? Like, I mean, I'm happy with that. Like the the post safety car fight for second and third. Yeah, just Leclerc, Perez, Hamilton. All of that. It was brilliant. Yeah, all of that. All of the above. Do it. Um. Yeah. Right, and then final award. Honestly, what the f- are we doing here? I've seen just seen a nomination in chat for Yuki. Um, that spin into his teammate was pretty poor. Oh, yeah. I never even thought about that. that yeah. Do you know why I'd forgotten about that? Because it conveniently didn't make the highlight real. <laughs> That'll be why. So I'd kind of forgot it happened. Yeah, it was a little clumsy, that. I see you've uh, written down here, Lando getting smashed in the face by a space <laughs> hopper. <laughs> yep. Uh, I mean, it wasn't really part of the race or anything, but he's certainly done the rounds on the internet, like... You basically don't do social media if you haven't seen the fact that Lando got smashed in the face by a giant orange space hopper that Daniel Ricciardo threw at him. Because <laughs> the memes that have come out of that are ridiculous. 
it, um, but that was like more a comedy WTF, I think, than yeah. a, a oh my god, what's happening here kind of situation. Um, to take it a little seriously though, um, we sort of you'd you'd be if you only watched the race, you'd be forgiven for not knowing it happened. But um, seven protesters got on the circuit on the opening lap. Um, yes. down the Wellington Strait, I believe it was. Um, yeah. And it is kind of purely by chance that there was the initial crash that caused a red flag. So by the time the cars got around there, it was already red flags and everyone was already, um, you know, already slowed right down. Um, and the the real WTF in all of this is that two days before the race, the police said, oh, we've got intelligence that this is going to happen. And yet it still happened. And yeah. I think, you know, be that the police, the race organizers, F1 themselves, I don't know. But I think there are some questions that need answering there because people should not be able to get on the track like full stop yeah. like that should just be a a thing that is never able to happen um and you know the greatest of respect to the marshals that ran on the track to drag them off there as quickly as they could but you shouldn't you know marshals are already putting their lives at risk by being there at motorsport events so to put them in that position is just you know inexcusable and yeah and you know i as you know, the, we, these were, um, I don't, can't remember specifically who it was. I, I don't really want to give them publicity, but they were some kind of climate protesters. And speaking as someone who's pretty left-wing and has some probably more excre- extreme than the average person views on climate change stuff, th- that ain't it. You don't, don't do it. That's just not how you go about doing it. Um, it's completely yeah. inexcusable and... Uh, yeah, it's it's just awful. It's it's what could have happened there just doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah, it's it's definitely like it's it's sad because it obviously takes a light-hearted element away from this segment. But yeah. it probably is the the thing that deserves it is like how we get in that situation where, like, I mean, what would honestly what would they have done if they had not been a crash at turn one? Like, I I I, I don't I don't know the exact timing of it very quickly. hundred well, percent. But I don't I don't know the exact timing of when they managed to get on the circuit to do what they did compared to you know like when the you know when the race started and where the cars will have been because obviously you didn't they didn't make it to them you didn't particularly see it on on the television like no, they never showed it like on TV. That, that could have been just to do with the way that cameras were particularly chosen at the time i think it's probably um, a case of f1 not wanting to broadcast to the world that that was oh, allowed yeah. to happen like yeah 100 percent. i think i think it's a it's an element of both isn't it like it, they were being moved out of the way which was lucky that there was a red flag in the first place yeah but yeah, it's it just bears to doesn't bear to think about even like what could have happened no, if not at all. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, it's a shame to put a a serious spin on what is normally a the more light-hearted bit of the podcast, but like 
if you're gonna say WTF about something in that race, that's that's it for me, unfortunately. Yeah, and <laughs> the the I think there's an irony in it as well that no matter what the reason is, like for example, you make a good point of like your personal stance on a lot of these kind of things, and all they've done is make you associate that name that they're trying to represent with yeah, yeah it's... They're, they're idiots don't want anything to do with them they're extremists and i'm just gonna go support causes in a different way like yeah they, they've done nothing but harm for themselves realistically yeah seriously like without turning this into a very different podcast like that that level of extreme protest just doesn't do anyone any good yeah and especially as something like this. like i there's I can't believe that the people who came up with this idea fully understand what a Formula One track is actually like. Like anyone with, even someone doing extreme protests, like you, you, some level of common sense <laughs> that like, oh, an F1 car can't just like, at a split second's notice, drive around someone like, yeah. No, but sorry, sorry to be laughing, but I don't know why, but it kind of reminds me of... There's a, I don't know if it's the same group or not, but there's a group of oil protesters who have recently taken upon themselves to, allegedly by the headlines, glue themselves to famous pieces of artwork in protest. However, what I've seen in pictures is they glue themselves to the picture frame so they don't actually do any damage to the photo, that's the photo, sorry, the piece of art that they're threatening. They just glue themselves to like, some random piece of wood next to it, which did just take the picture out of once it was damaged and put like, what? <laughs> what are you achieving? What are you achieving by gluing yourself to a picture frame? It's like I just there's there's something not right there when that's your logical approach to protesting oil. Exactly the same as going and sitting on a live F1 any kind of racetrack. Doesn't even need to be F1 for me. It no, could have been it could have been flipping mini British mini cup that I was watching the other week at the touring cars that do like hundred and something miles an hour, probably tops. You still don't go sit in front of the flipping things while they're racing around. No, like, it's <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I, I just, Cra- I've got crazy behavior, crazy behavior. I'm going to move on to predictions and get Let's away from that. that. They can have the WTF. That's the most again. <laughs> and it's a bad WTF. <laughs> right. Predictions league. As always, sponsored and brought to you by Grid Rival. More on that in a minute. Um, I'm not even going to get in too far into predictions, actually, this week because it was a poor one for everybody, not just us. We scored nothing, but the vast majority of you guys also scored nothing. Um, <laughs> in, ter- in terms of scorers, the best people got two points. That's it. Um, and there were only three of them that got that. So Jesse Meath... Aaron Benton and James Hunt. I, I mean, I wonder if that's a real name or if it's just a parody of the great James Hunt. And it, like fortunate coincidence or intentional parody. I'm intrigued. But yeah, those were the people that got two points. Everybody else got one or less. I think somebody might have got one and a half actually, because funnily enough, nobody guessed 14 DNF, uh, 14 finishes, sorry, exactly right. So one person out there. Uh, guessed 15 I believe oh no there might have been a handful actually people got half a point but 
it was whoever guessed 15. So if you guessed 15, you got half a point there. And only one person got uh, Guan Yu Zhou's uh, finishing position correctly, uh, Dan Cully. Weird one, I know, because of the order that events played out, but officially, by timing loop standards, Zhou Guan Yu finished 19th because Albon was technically the first DNF, technically speaking. And for those who want to like know any kind of specifics on the way this works, generally speaking, it's about how many timing loops you get through into what order they classify you as for the for the DNFs. And he might have been doing it basically on the halo, but he yeah, clearly made it through an extra timing loop to Alexander Albon. So therefore, Albon is a first DNF. Sorry to anyone who had Joe Yu as a first DNF or 20th place, but that's the way that the rules work, Soz. Um, moving on to grid rival, as we mentioned before, uh, Mr. X was our overall winner for Silverstone with an impressive 1,121 points. Um, so very impressive finish there. Uh, Kiki Balso was actually our biggest mover, though, jumping a massive 45 places. That's pretty impressive. Obviously, had a good week themselves there. Uh, and Abdullah had the biggest jump in team value with their team increasing in value by 6.2 million. So enjoy having that to spend next time you come to change contracts. Um, in terms of the overall standings, um, ID Depraz is still our top place with 9,776 points. Uh, Green Lantern Corps, Kilowog's team jumps back into second um, after flirting with the top three for a while. Um, he's on 9,691 points. And then uh, Graham Superstappen is in third after previously being in second, dropped down to third with 9,690 points. So literally just one point between second and third there. Just brief um, um, commiserations to uh, Jeff from the Discord, whose grid rival team oh, yeah. includes George Russell, Alex Albon, and Joe Gonyu, all of whom I, were out on the first corner. I feel his pain in terms of first corner incidents. Mm-hmm. I feel your pain, Jeff. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for Grid Rival. So um, if you want to join in with either of those things, head to backofthegrid.com. Uh, you can register for Predictions League and submit your predictions there, which will be open for Austria. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, yes, it's a sprint weekend for Austria, but the format of our predictions don't change on that basis. Um, so go at it as normal. It'll still be fastest qualifier, winner of the... Grand Prix, first DNF in the Grand Prix, and so on. Um, we'll like, we'll clarify that in a minute. Grid rival, head to the fantasy section of the website or just head to grid uh, backofthegrid.com slash grid rival and it'll direct you to it. Sign up there and join in with all the fun there and beat Jeff because Jeff's bad at picking drivers like me. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jeff. He's getting some hammer. Should we talk about Austria, though? Shall I move us on to Austria? Now have a yeah. Jeff. Um, okay, so let's talk about a couple of storylines heading into this after Silverstone. Um, Pirelli have confirmed that they're going with the three softest compounds in terms of tyres for Austria. Um, 
this matches a change that they made last year because we had two races back to back in Austria. One was the Styrian Grand Prix, one was the Austrian Grand Prix. Uh, if yes. those of you remember last year, they made a step softer with the tires for the second race, which I, I'm, I think I'm right in saying the first one was Styrian, the second one, second one was Austrian. Doesn't really matter. We just had two races there. But the second one, we went down a softer step of tires and they liked the sort of interesting race strategy and the way that that played out last year. So we're doing the same thing again this year for the Austrian Grand Prix. Do we think it's going to play a factor for any particular teams this season, positive or negative? Or... Um, I'm not sure about particular teams, but I definitely feel like of the two races there last year, the one with softer tyres was the more entertaining race. So at least they've mm. gone down that route. Um I, I have unfortunately seen it quoted as Pirelli make choice of entertainment <laughs> with chat with tire compound or something to that effect. Like basically sort of trying to make it sound negative, but it wasn't like dangerous. Like the thing is in Austria, we've had incidents before where like running wide on certain curves was doing a lot of damage to tires. In to be fair, in exactly the same way we've had issues in previous iterations of tire at Silverstone. And the recent compounds in the last couple of years, we've not seen that at all, have we really? So I think they've eradicated whatever that problem was, whether it's a curbing change at the respective circuits or whether it's the the way the compounds are built that's different or a combination. As long as we don't have rubbish situations like that, I don't mind which compounds they pick as long as no, they exactly. work and are durable enough to, to perform for the race. In so. terms of specific teams, the Ferrari is probably a little harder on its tyres than the Red Bull, so it maybe favours Red Bull slightly, at least in the fight at the front. But yeah, we'll see, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think what it probably means long term overall for the race weekend that I can think of uh, from what I remember of last year is probably that the softest tyre will be probably good for nothing other than qualifying. And you probably just see teams on the mediums and hards in race. But I could be wrong, but I'd expect that, you know, teams are trying to do probably the full race distance on a medium, if possible. On the, I think, do you know what? Here's my take on this. The race it'll probably affect more is the sprint. If it's going to affect a race considerably, I would say the sprint race is the one it'll affect more because it's going to be a really tough, difficult situation of, can anyone make the medium last the sprint race duration? Oh, and if they point. can, can they take advantage of that yeah. situation? That's where I think it'll play the biggest factor. Yeah, but that's a really I could, uh, I could honestly see most teams just banging the hards on and getting to the end on them guaranteed. So pr- probably FP1 and FP2 will give us an idea of how that'll play out. It's difficult. Obviously, we're having this conversation on a Monday night. So <laughs> we know the news of the compounds, but we don't know how it's going to play out on circuit. Probably would... There's going to be a difference as well. Like, you probably can't even go back and look at last year's performance because the wheels are different. So it's a... You know, the, the aero is different. Like, it's a completely yeah. changed scenario. So FP1 and FP2 are going to be pretty important, I think, for... Um, what people decide to do in the sprint race, but like I said, I think that's where I have the biggest impact. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, 
another one. Um, can Red Bull take advantage of a circuit where they're traditionally quite strong, Verstappen in particular, mm. and pick up some extra points over Ferrari with the sprint race? The um, the sprint being at this track, I think, is going to be very good news for Red Bull. <laughs> I just, I just like caught out of the corner of my eye Discord and just like yes, yes, yep, probably, <laughs> yep, exactly, yep. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, yeah, they've answered the question, haven't they? Yeah, I, we talked about it briefly last week, I think, didn't we? You and I, yeah. where we were saying, um, you know, at, at what races do we realistically see Leclerc being able to close the gap in the, before the summer break? And this definitely wasn't one of them. <laughs> so no, even even not. though the even though the um the scenario of like the cars like the, the Red Bull philosophy is slightly different to those that we normally see and it, it's strong in different areas to what it normally is but I still feel like it's just one of those tracks that it's a little bit like what Lewis was doing at Silverstone this weekend there's just that extra bit that certain drivers can get out of cars at certain tracks. And I feel like Austria is quite likely one of those for Max, that even if the Red Bull doesn't end up being the best car on the day, Max is going to be ahead of the Ferraris, even if Perez can't manage it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Could be interesting. Um, Mercedes, are they now close enough to actually contend for podiums on merit? Seen a really good performance from Lewis in Silverstone. Genuinely competing for a podium on merit by by most standards. Is so, it that some of the cars were hampered? Like, how much of that is a factor? Do we think he and George can be pushing into that top three more regular on pure merit? It, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see because if there was ever a track that was going to suit this Mercedes, it was Silverstone. Like the kind yeah. of corners it has suit has always suited that car anyway. It's like one of, if not the smoothest track on the calendar. So porpoising was never really going to be an issue for them. So if they can still perform at Austria, which is a much bumpier track, then that bodes extremely well for them. But my gut feeling is they're going to go back to some of their older struggles. But I'd like to be proven okay. wrong. Interesting. I think that they will probably be performing better than they have earlier in the season, Lewis in particular. Um, but I can only see them challenging for a podium if one or more of the top four, let's call them, they're like the, the Ferraris and the Red Bulls, have some sort of incident that like scuppers them basically and puts them out of the picture. And that's what's going to bring the Mercs in. Um, and like them fighting amongst themselves, slowing each other down is what brings the Mercs into the play. I think that they, they're close enough to, they're close enough now to not be like left 30 seconds down the track. Like it felt like they were at times early in this season where if something went on at the front, there was a, almost a pit stop window of, tolerance for, yeah. for Red Bull and Ferrari to play with and they've eaten into that now they've eaten into it to a point where they they, they will always be able to take advantage more or less of those situations ahead of them um, and 
I mean, Lewis has sort of shown that in Silverstone, but he was also just like a really good driver. And like you say, like if anywhere was ever going to suit the car, that was it. So there's there's quite a lot of factors. But yeah, I agree with you. I, I can't see Lewis or George being able to get what Lewis did out of the car at Silverstone this weekend. No. At least not just yet. Not just yet. So interesting. But I think for the rest of the season as a whole, they're definitely going to be in positions to give Red Bull and Ferrari more headaches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Shall we make some predictions? Let's go back to the predictions board and make some for Austria. So as I touched on earlier, this will be relative to qualifying and then the Grand Prix. The bit in the middle doesn't count as far as we're concerned for predictions. So for this, forget that there's a sprint race, apart from the fact that you need to make sure your predictions are in before Q1 starts. So you need to make sure that they're in before what is... Ooh, 4 p.m. on Friday for ah uh, yes standard Central Time or whatever it's called these days GMT um, adjust accordingly. Worth noting as well that there is a slight question mark over Alex Albon for this weekend. So, in the event that he does have to sit out this race and the reserve driver sits in, obviously we'll add the reserve driver to the list. And if you've yep. already put your predictions in and picked Albon for anything, um, there is now the reset predictions button on there. So you can always go back and remove Albon and drop in yeah. someone else. Yeah, it's, it's looking like he should be okay, but it's not like fully yeah. nailed on yet, is it? Like, I think he's, it, I mean, he's, he's come out of obviously all his checks okay so far. But um, yeah, as Chris says, feel free to use the reset button. Um, and change it to whoever the reserve is or somebody completely different if you want. Just make sure you do it before Q1 starts. Right, let's do ours. Chris, who will be fastest in Q3? I, it's boring, but I've got to say Max. <laughs> You're doing the same thing as me then, because yeah. I was going to say Verstappen too. Like, some, sometimes I'm like happy to be proven wrong in these scenarios. Like... I, you have to be like sensible in your predictions to a degree if you want to yeah. points and think like what's actually the most likely outcome. And sadly, like double Verstappen for me. Um, I think, I don't know about you, but I think that he's personally just really good at this circuit, like I said before, that yeah, it's even if the cars are not 100% the best, he will find a way to drag it around that circuit quickly. Absolutely. Does that mean you're going to is, Verstappen, same as me? Yeah, Verstappen is to the Red Boring as Hamilton is to Silverstone. <laughs> I would agree. I would agree. Uh, first DNF, who do you think that's going to be, Chris? Mm, first DNF, let's go. You tend to see a few engines go pop in Austria, don't you? Um, yeah, it's quite full throttle, isn't it? Who's been having... Hmm. Let's go for a we'll go for a Honda. Even though they're not Honda, but you know they are. Um let's go Sonoda. Actually, yeah, Sonoda covers crashes and engines going pop. All in one. <laughs> okay. Um I mean I was 
thinking similar lines, but with the um, but more with the issues that the Ferrari engine's seen at a couple of circuits where being on full power for a long time is a problem, aka Baku. Mm. Uh, so I'm gonna go for. Uh, I don't want to do it. I don't want to say this. I don't want to do it. But I, I feel like I need to. Does everyone know? No, sorry in chat. I think, okay, I mean, I know this is really unconventional for a podcast where nobody can see the chat afterwards, but Sarah thinks Bottas is my choice. <laughs> what do other people think? I want to see if anyone knows where I want to go, but probably shouldn't. I think you want to go. It's science. not a science, McCheco. It's not a science. Oh, okay. I thought you were doing it's not as bad as that. Zero thing. Oh my God, there's so many. Hamilton, Lando. No, it's a Ferrari engine, guys. I said a Ferrari engine. Joe, no, Benson. Mick, Jeff's got it. I'm oh, going Mick Schumacher. Oh, you monster. And Paul closely second with a Mick. You absolutely I mean, monster. I am a monster. I'm a monster that earns points. That's what I am. I don't let my feelings get in the way of earning points in Predictions League. Number of finishes. Ooh, I'm going to go 16. Unconventionally low for Silverstone, I think, last week. Well, weekend just gone. So I'm going 16 here for a similar reason. How about you? Do you know what I'm going to... I'm going to copy you. I think 16 as well. What? <laughs> Feel, feels right. <laughs> you just want some points. I know it. I know it. <laughs> now, to be fair, me and you are both like still quite close. I never checked the standings for us, but um, I'm pretty sure we're quite close. Anyway, random driver. Chris, tell us who it is this week. Man of the moment, Carlos Sainz. Oh, that's a difficult. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, flipping heck. Um, I'm just going to go straight in and say fourth. Oh. Oh. I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic and say third. Third. I'm going to regret that, I think. I think I'm going to regret that. Do you know what? I'm going to be really bold and just just add a little caveat to this. Third, and enough in front of Leclerc to jump him in the title. What would that mean? Is that even possible? Because he's pretty Um, close to him now, isn't he? Let's see. He is, yeah, he's 11 points behind. Yeah, so Leclerc having a shocker and, and... Science gained enough points for the third behind the two Red Bulls so that to leapfrog him in the title. Um, eighth highest. Yeah, there you go. I'm I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um. Oh yeah, and Mcchecko is pointing out the fact that it is a sprint weekend. So if Leclerc has the shocker in the sprint weekend and sticks oh, himself true. at the back, oh yes, I'm doing it now. Yeah, I'm doing it now. So is Jeff, but. I bought a Carlos Sainz hat, remember? This, I'm putting my literal money on this. I bought the hat, so now I've got to, got to give him the support. Um, yeah, so that's it. That's us. Um, as we've said before a few times, head to backup.com, register, submit your predictions. Or I get smacked in the face by a cat's tail. Um, very difficult to do that line whilst getting fair in my gob. Um, but yeah, head to backupthegrid.com. Should we do some some inbox, inbox, Chris? Yeah, let's do that. Keep it saying now. Stay stay out. Box, box, box. Hey, man. 
first this week from GL15. Can you explain why they reset the order back to the starting grid following the red flag, but counted uh, one lap for race distance? In short, the short explanation is they didn't make it far enough round for the for far enough round a lap for the order to be considered the order um, before the red flag came out. So it was reset to the original grid, but in because of like the way fuel is very specifically managed and so on, the laps that they had to do in order to get back to the pits and then round on the second formation lap are essentially deducted off the total. It was a little bit weird because normally what we see in those scenarios is we see the laps go back down to like lap one and then the total come down. For whatever reason, they counted them on and we just still did the same number of laps technically total. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's added a little bit of confusion to the matter for some people and, you know, kind of generated this question. But generally speaking, what happens is like if we have to do an extra formation lap because of a problem or they have to do like laps behind the safety car before a full start, like in wet weather conditions, anything like that, it's always deducted off the grand total of laps that we have to do anyway. It's just, it, this one was a little bit abnormal, I guess, because as I said before, you, you normally take them off the total and still start at one. Whereas this time we just kind of counted up and stayed counted up. So a little bit of a different protocol, but the same principle for the rules. Yeah. And then, yeah, the grid was reset because normally you do last lap count back um, or at least last sector is yeah. the worst case scenario and we didn't even get a full sector so and i think even if you count in timing loops like i'm pretty sure i'm right in saying the red flag was uh, called before everyone had even got around turn one so it's yeah. not like it was even i was about to say to like back. i um i'm not 100 sure but i'm pretty i'm pretty sure that as soon as guan was upside down and left the circuit like the the actual you know, track limits, the red flag was already being called. So, like, there was a little bit of argy-bargy racing that would have had to be undone anyway and all that kind of stuff. So, ultimately, the the best call is reset the grid. It's, it's a shame for people like, say, Hamilton and um, oh, somebody else had a really good start. Mac, Max had a really good start, yeah, um, on the soft. So, a couple of people kind of got undone by it, but, you know, they didn't, nobody argues it because the, the rule is the rule and yeah. you know they all know what to expect in that scenario realistically um, next uh, Paul says uh, we saw a lot of instances of drivers not leaving much racing room and pushing others wide do you think these should have been penalised and also do you think if there had been gravel on the outside of those corners um, penalties would have been given out hmm, the, the gravel thing's interesting because of what happened was it last year at Austria? Sainz yeah, got in trouble. Uh, sorry, Perez got in trouble a little bit, didn't he? For and Norris. something similar to this. And Norris, yeah, pushing people out. Um, Hamilton and Albon have come together there in in, in Austria in previous years as well. Um, so yeah, it's. I think this is the thing. So it comes back to what I was saying earlier, where it's a driver kind of risking it around the outside and having to back out. Um, because they've not got the move done earlier. I think there's an element of that. I also think that had there been gravel on the outside, less drivers would have been trying that move in that particular way because they'd have known that it wasn't worth the risk. So it's 
I think if something like what happened in Austria had happened, where someone had been like literally pushed after being overtaken, after being alongside, would have been different. But I stand by what I said previously, where the the vast majority were drivers trying to throw it around the outside and then having to back out because they couldn't make it work more than being pushed off. I think anyway. Um, but I don't know about you, Chris. Yeah, it's like honestly, there wasn't much in that race that I thought was over the line. I think there was a lot of racing that was very hard and like pushing the limits. But ultimately, I think, and like it's kind of like you said earlier, like we didn't really hear any drivers or teams complaining about the way each other was racing, yeah. and that's normally a sign that things are generally okay. Yeah, I think genuinely, I think the only complaint I heard was Leclerc about Hamilton in lap in the original lap one, but it wouldn't have mattered anyway because it was under yeah, the red flag. Exactly. So, yeah. Next from Jose, this race we saw, again, at least one instance of the meatball flag being utilised. Do you think this flag's been used properly and should we be seeing it as often as we are? I mean, we've definitely seen more of it this year than we have in previous years for a it's long like time. like we said before, isn't it? It's like they've just suddenly remembered they have it and they're suddenly like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um... I think so. Yes, yeah, Perez got it this race, didn't he? Um, uh, yeah, I think Perez Perez was ju- either getting one or had just gotten one, but they were bringing him anyway because it affected his pace. Yeah. That was for the front wing. Uh, Leclerc never did get one, but, but the Leclerc... piece had kind of broken off cleanly and exactly, wasn't yeah. there wasn't really bits hanging about off the end of that. Um, and then Gasly got one for some damage from the contact with him and Sonoda, I think. Oh, and then really? when, yeah, and then he'd he'd been meatball flagged and ended up in the pits, and they ended up just retiring the car because I don't know if it was because they assessed the damage as Alpha Tower and just said there's no point in even fixing it to absolve as the meatball flag and yeah. carry on. So they just retired him. Uh, so. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, the thing is, right, look what happened to Max's race is where I'll go with this. Any Max Verstappen fan, realistically, should be, like, protesting for meatball flags at any opportunity for bits falling off cars because (laughs) that's essentially killed Max's race this weekend. And that's, maybe that's why we see more of it, you know. I wonder if that's, that's a fact. It could be to do with the different race directors. It could be to do with the fact that stuff getting stuck in the floor is that detrimental to a car that it's like, it's not race ending, but it's it's just such a big problem. So yeah, to I mitigate think... that opportunity of of problem, the um, opportunity of problem, that didn't make sense, <laughs> to mitigate this that situation occurring, they're bringing in cars as much as possible um, for bits hanging off and not working properly i think the the weird thing with it is like i feel like whenever i've seen it in other using other series in the past it's always been a it's always been used to force the team to pit a car that they're not choosing to themselves yeah whereas in f1 this season it seems to be the second someone gets damaged the flags are straight away and I, yes you could make the argument that like uh, if if something needs to be fixed, just get it fixed as soon as possible. But it, I feel like they should at least give 
the teams the opportunity to just do it. And then if the teams are refusing yeah. to fix something dangerous, then you pull out the flag. But I don't know. Um, I think ultimately no, I, the weird thing is that it's suddenly being used so much and I don't think it's being used particularly consistently and that's the biggest issue. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it being used, same as you. It's more just providing it's been used for good reason, I guess, and not just like willy-nilly, like you say, as soon as there's any damage on a car, like saying bring it in because it's not... Like you say, it's more... I mean, yes, different cars and different classes of racing have different issues, but how often do you see like GT cars driving around with like bits of bumper hanging off and stuff and being having to being given a meatball flag because it's becoming dangerous? And then at that point, they just do what Alpha Tower did to Yuki Tsunoda's DRS and just tape it back up and send them back out. Well, but like- if that makes the part secure, I mean, I'm just going to put this out there. My front bumper on my Mini is currently damaged. It is held on by Gorilla Tape. <laughs> Just saying. If he's good enough for Alpha Tower, he's good enough for you. If he's good enough for Alpha Tower, it's good enough for Tom King. <laughs> <laughs> Stories of how I damage my bumper for the Discord only. Because <laughs> they're all going to ask now. I know that's going to come. <laughs> yeah, I think consistency and not just being whimsical about it. If that's the case, then I'm fine with it. If it starts getting silly, it might become a bit annoying. That's where I'll leave that one, I think. Yeah, agreed. Uh, Benson asks, uh, given the swing of results from Charles to Carlos in the last few races, can you see Ferrari giving priority to Carlos over Charles, or will Ferrari be Ferrari and ruin it for both of them? I think the thing is they've not really been showing any priority to... Sure, have yeah. they? Like the the only no. time they have is when there's been when he's been obviously faster, like at certain yeah. stages of this race. But I don't. I, I. It almost feels like until it's like a mathematical thing, or as good as mathematically impossible for one of them to win, they won't start doing it. Um, yeah, but yeah, they're not I, showing I think, any signs of it. Yeah, I mean, I think that being so undecisive or whatever unforceful about like giving Charles the priority in the situation that they've been in this week shows that they're either they're either not fully committed to Charles's number one driver or they're not fully committed to anyone being a number one driver no matter which one of them it is so it'd be interesting to see I mean if if my like hypothetical plays out and Carlos does jump Leclerc in the in the title I can't see that having an immediate impact on how Ferrari handle races just because of how they handled this one. So yeah. short answer is Ferrari will ruin it for both of them, I guess. <laughs> if they ruin it for anyone, they'll ruin it for both of them. So much optimism. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I bought the hat. I bought the flipping hat. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> And uh, next one, Corizilla Zombie Killer asks, if the safety car didn't come out for Ocon retiring, do you think Hamilton would have been able to chase down Leclerc and Sainz for the win? Um, I think he'd have had at least a good opportunity. He was, he was definitely on pace with them. Well, better pace than them. Um, 
I think Leclerc probably had maybe more pace that being stuck behind Science initially was limiting him. But those extra tenths that Hamilton always finds around Silverstone were definitely coming into play, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I think ultimately it would have depended on how quickly the hard tyres started falling off. Yeah, the extra life he had in his tyres would have definitely played a part uh, had he caught those two up yeah. and them start to struggle. Uh, it's just... It's a, for the racing we got, thanks to the safety car, it's one of the few times where I'm like, I'm not sort of pining for the what if, but the what if could have still been very interesting, I guess. Yeah. Um, oh, it's me next, isn't it? Um, Eugene Risto says, if Ferrari had swapped the cars when they should have, I'm assuming that means like the first time around. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, which one? <laughs> Do you guys think the gap between Leclerc and Science would have been big enough to double stack when the safety car came? I mean, just quickly for me, I think I alluded to this earlier that yes, it probably would have, and that was so that was where the mistake was made. the 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 mistake was made at that point, meaning they couldn't double stack, meaning they had to do the weird split strategy that they did and compromise one driver. Um, so yeah, I think they would. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Uh, final question this week from Charlotte Ooh, Taylor. No, not quite. Not quite. Fine. No. Before that <laughs> is Adam Busby, who asks, with Mercedes looking in a much better shape at Silverstone, could we have a three-way Constructors' Championship on our hands? No. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be blunt, no. I think Mercedes will be well clear of anybody else and probably stay in touching distance of the other two but I'm with you from that conversation we had earlier of it's not enough yet for them to be like permanently challenging for race wins or I mean to to be fair if they consistently finish the two of them in like fourth fifth that kind of position there is entirely logic that two cars finishing there is better than the DNFs that Red Bull and Ferrari keep getting between them so Yes, in theory, they'll stay in touching distance through those means, but I don't think they'd do it like on pure paces if every car finished. Yeah, I think they will pick up a win or two before the year's out. Um, yeah, if the circumstance falls into place or like the development goes the right way towards yeah. the end of the year, I'd agree I with think that. They're definitely going to be giving Ferrari and Red Bull some strategic headaches for the rest of the season. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's too late now for them to really be in the fight. I mean, we've already seen that this week, aren't we? Giving them Ferrari a nightmare. Yeah. So, uh, last one for this week. Charlotte Taylor says, has Yuki lost his head after a good start to the season? Three races, he's ended up with a gaffer-taped rear wing, even though that wasn't his fault. Um, Bindit coming out of the pits in Canada and then hit his teammate this weekend and caused the issues there. He's just inconsistent, isn't he? Like... I feel like I've been, there's been several times this season where I've been like, yeah, that was a really good drive from him. Like, maybe he's turning things around and then next race, something. Like, um, Baku. Oh, yeah, he ultimately he was nowhere because of his rear wing problem. But actually, he was having a really good drive in Baku. And then two races yeah. in a row, he's been pretty rubbish. So yeah, he needs to string I mean, a few results together. 
the the thing with him this weekend was he had his front wing wiped out by that whole scenario where I think he actually got his front wing wiped out by um Ocon, not Ocon, sorry, Albon. Um where you know when Vettel kind of pumped into the yeah. back of Albon and spun him out, I think Yuki kind of got caught up in that. He definitely had damage anyway, because if you didn't see, if anyone didn't see it, he was like driving back to the pits with the front wing stuck under the front wheel, mm-hmm. wasn't he? Um, Apparently, he did also say he was pretty shaken up by that crash afterwards. So, you know, maybe we can give him yeah, a little like, bit of uh, leniency. Being, that, particular being that close to something that serious yeah. might have got in his head a little bit, like you say. Um, so it might have knocked his confidence, especially around such a high-speed circuit like Silverstone, where you've got to be fully committed. Like, if you're not committed through Cops, Maggots, Beckett, so on, yeah, you're going to lose a lot of lap time. So there's probably an element of that. You don't know what like underlying damage to the floor, that front wing getting stuck might have done. You know, there's there's a lot of factors. So mm-hmm. I don't think he's like he's gone completely off the boil. Yes, Canada was a silly, silly mistake. And this weekend, he's probably just been more unlucky and a little bit shaken up more than anything. So time to go strong in Austria. And this is this is what makes an F1 driver compared to someone losing their seat, though, isn't it? Like, to be able to bounce back from these sort of things and go get results is what keeps you your seat the next season and the next season. is like no, nobody in F1 as a team expects you to be like, perfect week you know like do you know what i mean like even hamilton verstappen leclerc whatever ferrari mercedes red bull do not expect that number one driver to be absolutely millimeter perfect every single minute of every single race to the eight yeah. but the difference is like drivers like that are never lot well realistically they're not like long-term affected by a mistake they get it out of the system immediately and they're they're back on being the fast as well as well being the fastest drivers that there is they're back on the pace immediately. Like Verstappen doesn't clatter a wall in Saudi Arabia, but then later in qualifying, and but then later affect his race. He goes out and races, and do you know what I mean? Like yeah, just examples that's... like that. I can't think of like loads off the top of my head, but like that's just one of them. The, the, you know, Perez doesn't get his wing wiped out, and then find that he just wallows at the back of the pack. He fights through it and puts himself on the podium. Like, that's the difference between the top-tier drivers, I think, other than pure speed, like the mentality. Yeah, Um, I think experience is part of it as well, for sure. Yeah. Like, hopefully he proves us that he has got that and bounces back, but... Yeah, yeah, like, just just looking at his results this season, like, uh, start of the season with points in Bahrain, he uh, did not start in Saudi Arabia, then only 15th in Australia, back in the points in Imola... 12th in Miami, back in the points in Spain, 17th in Monaco. He was going really well in Baku until his problem, then retired in Canada, then 14th here. So it's he's not really had back-to-back decent races. So I think he just needs to like string a result or two together. That's it. He needs to just, like, even though he's had better results this season than, or well, it's felt like he was having a better start to the season at least than last For sure. year. For sure. He needs to string those things together, like we say. So Yeah. Fingers crossed that happens for him. And that about does us this week, doesn't it? I think it does, yeah. It's been a long one, lots to cover. Um, 
But yes, thank you as always, everyone, for listening and for joining us in the live show and for writing in. Uh, if you're interested in joining us live, you can find out how to join the Discord if you go to patreon.com forward slash back of the grid. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and all of those things. You can head to backofthegrid.com where you can find out how to get involved with our predictions league and with the grid rival league. It's all there, all free to enter and sign up. Uh, as Tom said, you only have until Friday evening to get your predictions in for the Predictions League uh, this week. So remember to do that. And I think that's all the things. So we'll be back in a week's time to review the Austrian Grand Prix. But until then, thanks again for joining us and goodbye. Bye, everyone. <laughs>